Movies, like so many other things in life, have been commodified. When you go to the cinema, it doesn't matter if the film's budget was $200 million or $300 million. The ticket price is usually the same. It's kind of like making sausages. Secret cinema, on the other hand, is the complete opposite of commodification. Every production is completely unique, and your own participation as a spectator contributes to the world building. The founder of Secret Cinema, Fabian Regal, has been an idol of mine for quite some time. He's a maverick, an activist, and creative rebel. I've already been to 14 Secret Cinemas, and each one has this, this notion of being independent and rebelling and you know, fighting the system. There's a lot of interesting political undertones, and, and the world always blows you away. In the old days, I remember buying a ticket to a surprise screening in a surprise location and showing up in some sort of quirky dress code and guessing what I'm going to see inhabiting this incredible world and contributing to it with this personality profile that you usually get before you show up. So it's just an amazing experience. And then you get to see an incredible film. It always surpassed my expectations. Immersive theater is one thing, but secret cinema really lets you enter a movie and become a part of it. So I could talk about this forever because I absolutely love secret cinema. We'll just jump into this interview and hear from this incredible visionary. Alrighty, hey Fabian, it's it's great to see you. I've been a fan for many many years. How are you doing today? I'm good. Even really lovely to meet you. And um, yeah, I, I'm good. Awesome. Um, well, first, I just want to say it feels to me like you're kind of like the ultimate rebel. You're always trying to create new experiences. You wear so many different hats, and I guess in a way, kind of like the ultimate creative person. I wonder. How do you get all your ideas and are you a morning or a night person? Like, you know, how does Fabian live? It's a big question. Yeah, I guess I was always quite, I wasn't the best student at school. I always used to look to see how I could like change the system or the rules, which, you know, in some ways I'm like, you know, I really regret that time I wasted. But in other ways, I'm like, I guess I created my own internal university, you know, like much to my teacher's dismay, I would disrupt classes, etc. And I guess I've always been had a sort of curious mind about the way things are and a sort of, you know, a sensitive approach to everything and a and an emotional approach. So, yeah, I guess how do I work? Just feel the things in life, you know, and see how they feel and how potentially if I don't like their feeling, then perhaps maybe could design or create another one. And, you know, I just throw everything at that. And cinema was a big passion of mine from an early age. I went into a cinema when I was 11 years old. Was that the first time you went to a cinema? No, I used to go to, I went to the cinema a few times, right, with, with my parents and stuff like this. But there was this moment we were living in Morocco. My dad was working there and I left the house without permission and walked to the local cinema, which was a mile away, bought a ticket, didn't know what the movie was, went inside. A few people were sitting there, the projector, people were smoking at that time. And it was Once Upon a Time in America. And it's like this three and a half hour epic movie. And I literally lost myself in the screen. I became that character. I always remember it because from that moment onwards, I was obsessed with cinema. And I always used to see cinema as like this magical thing. And then as I grew up, it, it stayed with me. And then when I started working, I, when I started thinking about, you know, what I wanted to do initially, I wanted to be an actor. Then I wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> and wow. then I started this film night really as a hobby. And then it turned into what it is today, secret cinema. So, yeah. First of all, it is amazing. And I, I counted that I've been to 14 secret cinemas so far, I believe so. 
Uh, and I'm looking forward to, to many more. But uh, that's that's really interesting how you went to see this epic gangster film and it kind of changed your life. You really you you felt like you were in the movie. Reminds me a little bit of uh, I'm going to get like super geeky here. But uh, if anyone who's read Plato, Plato has this uh, metaphor of the cave of uh, these people in the cave and they see shadows from, you know, and they, they don't know. You know, they can't distinguish if the shadows are real people or not. The, and so they think they're real. And, and in many ways, you could say that Plato might be the first film theorist because that is kind of cinema. You're, you're looking at shadows. You think that they're real. You don't know what's real. And, and it feels like everything you're doing with Secret Cinema and, and also other projects is you're kind of trying to break the cave. You're trying to break all these boundaries and, uh, you know, and just kind of mess with the audience to some extent. Uh, yeah. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think that's that's really beautifully put. It's really about playing with the relationship between, you know, light, the screen, between people, how people come together and how they experience stories. And I think it, these stories started in a cave and they started with, you know, just being outside at dusk and the light falling and you imagine. And, you know, so there's always been this representation of stories. And I think secret cinema really came from a kind of deep, love of that of story and of mystery and of like the feeling of being with other people and i think also as a slight rebellion resistance against the culture that we're now in now where society is essentially addicted and driven by the algorithm you know and it's just the algorithm is us some people might argue but uh the algorithm turns life into a predictable one so to me, it was always about that secrecy, that magic. And, it, you know, it started off with this experience when I was a child and then going to music festivals, finding the secret parts of Glastonbury, going in cars, driving around the M25, looking for these raves, the mystery, the excitement, the kind of feeling of discovery. And I think that has become a big driving force in secret cinema is this, this desire for like to create enchantment or magic or you know, something where it just goes off, you know, and you're not quite sure who an actor is, who an audience is. Is this a film? Is this a music experience? Is this an art experience? What is this? You know, because everything's so boxed up and predictable. So I really believe in that. And I believe also that people, humans will, will always search for that, however predictable and automated our lives become. First of all, there's so much to unpack there. And I love everything you're saying yeah, we're kind of living in the matrix. It's all algorithm driven. And, you know, you're like Neo trying to free us. That's so true. And we're also looking for experiences, right? The people these days, I mean, sometimes we buy things, we can be materialistic, but often we're looking for experiences over actual material. And you do create that magic. I mean, you, you know, whether, you know, it's, uh, I remember seeing Brazil where it was, I think it was in a building in, in Croydon and you had actress belaying down the building during some scenes, which was just insane. Or in, in Shawshank Redemption, where I remember going to a court and, and being sentenced to, to, to prison and having later on to strip and become a prisoner. And I mean, there is magic in what you create. And also you talk about blurring boundaries and you, you do mess with boundaries. You don't care about these categories. And I like that because you're doing everything. It isn't clear what what is what. What is it? Is it a film? Is it an art experience? Is it theater? I mean, that that's what I find also interesting about you to some extent, because you know, I feel like you're both a 
well, much more than both. You're 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 a revolutionary. You're a festival curator. You're a theater director because it's also there's theater in there. Even a restaurateur as well because there's there's pop up restaurants. It seems like you're kind of dabbling in so many so many spaces. Yeah, I mean, it is a kind of rich mix of of, of different things, and that's what's always interested me is this idea of blurring the lines between these different mediums, and you know. It's really about also the team that I put together from the beginning who also believe this. There's, you know, Secret Cinema was an idea. It wasn't really my idea. It was more like kind of, you know, I guess the idea of the audience, because without them, they wouldn't have, a, they wouldn't be Secret Cinema. And the audience wanting to be more than just a passive audience and be active and taking part and break down the stage and all these things. And then the team that believed it you know, they became Secret Cinema and, and they helped create it and build it over all these years. And now we went from like a team of like, I had an office underneath a basement in Soho to a team of 40, 50 full-time members of the team, you know, that I brought a sort of, you know, a business team in and now it's just running in, in an extraordinary way. But yeah, I think my commitment and responsibility, I guess, is to rethink the way that things can be and to like think could this be different could this story be different if you know if you set up a what's the future of entertainment in a world dominated by you know just a few companies who are mm. you know so to me it's always like about that and i'm now rambling a bit but i think you should probably ask another question <laughs> yeah no but it's true you always want to challenge the man whether it's uh, uh the monopolies and this podcast you want to challenge this podcast? Yeah, bring it on. Let's, just, let's change it. I want you to like open the window of the podcast, shout down to someone, bring someone up from the street. We'll interview, <laughs> we'll interview them. It'll be far more interesting than interviewing me. And we'll ask them three questions. What's the most beautiful thing they've ever seen? And the second will be, um, what's their earliest childhood memory? And the third will be, what, what do they wish for the future? I'm going to mirror all those three <laughs> questions at you in, in, in a sec. But I do want to say, I mean, you know, it is crazy what you've built. Like, uh, I remember going to see Prometheus. And uh, and back in the day, Secret Cinema really was Secret Cinema. So you didn't know what you were going to go see. And I would buy a ticket and, and there'd be a dress code. And, and I'm, I'm trying to guess the whole time, what is it that I'm going to see? And I remember walking around, I was pretty sure there was going to be Alien, which I guess you had shown before. And then later on, it turned out that it was Prometheus and you had... You had stuff from the set that had just been filmed in the UK. And, and, and the funny thing is I'd already seen Prometheus in the, in the cinemas before, but I still loved it. Obviously, the, the, the set design was amazing. It was still great to see the movie again. And it was awesome. I mean, I absolutely, absolutely loved it. So you, you've done just you've created all these crazy experiences. I guess my, my first question then, uh, just in terms of Secret Cinema, which, which one is your favorite? I mean, I, I have like... Lots of different favorites for different reasons, but um, it's difficult to say. I don't really have a favorite, you know, but like, for example, Prometheus, like it. sometimes I think about just the insanity of putting one of these productions on. I think, don't think people realize there's a lot of feedback sometimes that people are like, oh, they're charging this amount of money for watching a film. And you're like, you don't get it. We took over 400,000 square foot building that was owned by a developer. We had to persuade the developer to give it to us for six months to turn it into a spaceship. Then we tried to convince Radiohead to give us the score of Kid A to become the soundscape. We had, you know, Garrett Moore, who was the performance director on this. We had a team of 350 people. 
we had to convince 20th century folks to give us the film at the same time they released it in cinemas. Then we had to build three 3D cinemas. And with a cast of 50, we created a huge like hydroponic indoor kind of nursery so we could bring plants to space to give, you know, like, and it just goes on and on and on. And we bring all these partners. So the insanity of it is like everyone is like, you know, a love story to, to that film and to that idea. But it's so much more than a movie. You know, it's not really a movie. It's called Secret Cinema because cinema is life. And so this is like maybe this is the way that we could live. Maybe we could take this story and then turn it and like allow a thousand people to go up to space. And then we could turn off all the lights during hypersleep. And then it became like everything in the right place by Radiohead. And and it's like, and then they came, you know, like I've been hassling Radiohead for forever. I still am hassling them, but they ignore me now. But I'm getting, <laughs> I don't know. Great band. They're an amazing band. And they were so kind. Nigel Godrich worked with Emmett, our sound designer. And, and I, we said, can we just have the stems from Kid A? And they're like, yeah, you can. And so we just remixed them with Nigel and just layered them across the ship. So you had moments of like idiotech in the ceiling. Like, you know, it was really cool. But favorite ones, I don't know, Battle of Algiers is a favorite one because it was a big risk and it was a really, like, we always take films, blur it with politics, what's going on, you know, like how can we create a more, create something that's really going to get people thinking about at that time. There was the, you know, terrorist threat. So we wanted to put this film out and kind of, which was the same kind of problem that was going on with ISIS and things like that. So Battle of Algiers is a beautiful film, Morricone score, and we did it in Old Vic Tunnels. Blade Runner, the first, uh, second but one. I'm sorry to have missed Battle of Algiers. I've seen the actual film. It is a, a classic, but I wish I was there. But sorry, but Blade Runner, yes, you did Blade Runner. That's one of the few the films that you actually did twice. Well, I guess the only, I, I think. Yeah, so that was because, you know, the first time we did it, it was really like a, a stepping stone, really. You know, like we'd gone from 3,000, I think, to 8,000 people for, for the production. And we did a partnership with canary wharf and we said would you mind if you became the terrell corporation which wasn't exactly a positive organization um they were like yeah sure and we were like okay so then we had the audience meet at canary wharf station and transform the station into a futuristic travel agency that was going to take the audience to the off-world colonies and um you know it was insane you had all these bankers coming out of work and all these futuristic travel agents asking them if they were traveling to the off-world colonies and if they wanted to emigrate and they were just like looking at us strangely. But yeah, th- that was a really thing. I mean, Blade Runner has been a big thing. Moulin Rouge, because it was like after Brexit and Trump and everything was kind of a bit depressing. And it was just this joy. Loved it. Loved it. Turn of the cent. It was this kind of belle époque tale where, you know, it got a bit naughty and that's fun. And yeah, you know, it was just, you know, I mean, so many favorites really. Yeah. It's cool. It's an amazing life. And, you know, you, it's just incredible what you, what you create. And also just the creative ideas. I mean, 28 days later, watching the film, I remember lying down in a hospital bed to watch it. Yeah. You know, so all these weird kind of experiences. Well, 28 days later was particularly, I think it was, so we took over this building, which is the old evening standing newspaper factory. It was 18 acres, like something like 500,000 square foot. And we did Star Wars there, and then we did Twenty Days Later and Doctor Strange Love there in the same space. It's now yeah, I love, I love, I saw, I saw all of those and loved them. You saw those, yeah. Twenty Eight Days Later was kind of special because, you know, it's this iconic British film, and you know the story of it strangely is now happening. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> but but it was during the time where Jeremy Hunt was fighting the Junior Doctors, and so we created this story that, due to the the Junior Doctors' mm. pay cuts, that. Oh, no a zombie apocalypse had taken over England. 
and everyone had to meet in these mass vaccination centers um, where we put them to sleep. But then the vaccinations don't work. And so they wake up in this kind of like apocalyptic part of London and they have to run through like corridors and like zombies attacking them. And, and then there was always this thing, much to my accountant's dismay and my technical director, where I suddenly, I was like, <laughs> we were going to do the screening with seats. And then I was just like, no, we shouldn't do that. Let's buy a thousand camp beds and let's put all the screens on the ceiling so that you're lying down on the ceiling and then the blood can trickle around you and this. And my technical director said, you know, you're mad, but I, I can do it. And he did it. And it was, yeah, it was an amazing production, but it was quite expensive. Well, let's see, that's what I love about it. You're pushing the boundaries. All right, another weird film geeky reference. Uh, Eisenstein, who was a film theorist, uh, he actually suggested that uh, this thing was more for watching plays, but to kind of mess with the audience, to put uh, firecrackers or fireworks under the seats of the audience and have them kind of like erupt at the end of like a play or something like that. But the point is to do something that's really surprising, the audience doesn't expect. And, you know, you're constantly doing that. You're, you're, you're messing with people. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, the, the amount of creativity. My, my first secret cinema was the red shoes, by the way, oh, which was amazing. Yeah. I, it was like, you know, you recreated kind of like Covent Garden and, and going to the opera. And it was, I mean, it was, it was just insane. Yeah, the red shoes is like one of my favorite films because it really, I think, you know, just uh, describes that, that relationship between creativity and, you know, like uh, insanity. <laughs> but, you know, also like the choice that you make, you know, to give, you know that how how you can live your life in a balanced way, or whether you just let rip and just go. But the beauty of do that you do you, do you let it rip, or what do you do? I mean, like I have a perfectly balanced and amazing life. Oh no, I don't. Um, okay, <laughs> I'm working on it, right? So I think whenever you like building something which is larger than you, and you know, working with a massive team, and you know, there's it's it's always complicated. But that's part of the art and I guess part of the way that you create. But yeah, I mean, I'm in the best shape I've ever been. And I have a system and a routine of how to like have creative time, but also just to have time just to to rest and to kind of, you know, be sent, be, be calm. Because I think, yeah, Secret Cinema was for the first 10 years. And, you know, now I've stepped back from, from you know, the, being constantly there was really intense you know it was extraordinarily intense and it was all just adrenaline and how do you relax watching movies i imagine sometimes yeah. but not just sometimes i do a lot of uh, exercise i swim i love wild swimming i go to Hampstead heath which is like for anyone listening cold swimming is the best thing it changes your life seriously i've tried some cold like exposure I'll go to like, uh, I've done like, you know, like cold water dipping and all that, but yeah. I haven't tried swimming in the wild. That's very impressive. Swimming in the wild and it's really, so go to Hampstead Heath or, or I go to the Lido, et cetera. So, and then I run and then I, you know, long walks, long hikes, you know, spending time with good friends, you know, just, but, 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 you know, when you're like in this intense environment, building something and it's gaining real momentum, sometimes the lines blur between what's work, what's rest, what's, you know what's going out and then you know it's important to take stock of it so and i used to think oh yeah you need to have a manic life to be a, a creative person yeah as in like you need that chaos but i think you don't you, you you can still have 
a bit of the chaos to, to, to create interesting ideas, but you need to really look after yourself. Hundred percent. I mean, I think you, you you know you you occasionally need it. All things in right uh, in moderation. I mean, not necessarily moderation, but balancing them out. So uh, it's very important to make sure that you don't burn out. Right? Uh, yeah. No, burning uh, out is not cool. No. And no. I actually, I had a podcast with uh, Jonah Paquette about feeling awestruck. How primitive man used to feel awe on a daily basis, and now we only have these moments of awe, kind of like twice a week on average. And I want to say, first of all. The experiences you create are, they do, I think they, they do create awe. Like when I'm there, I'm just, I'm blown away. So you create that for people all the time, but obviously you as a person need to also create that for yourself and then take care I of yourself. Create I create it with a massive team of other creators. I mean, it's a gigantic, complex, emotional, practical, you know, the, <laughs> there's the, the emotion of the creativity and then there's the kind of hard sort of tech kind of how you actually make and realize these things. But I think you're right. I think that maybe there is a less enchantment and awness, awesomeness, or whatever that yeah. awesomeness or feeling awestruck. Yeah, awestruckness, whatever is. Um, yeah, I don't want to say it, but I think that. Well, I do want to say it. Why? Why wouldn't I say it? But I do think there is a an opportunity post pandemic to change the way we think about our lives and how dominated we are by certain small screens and by social media and these things, which uh, I'm not saying is all bad, but I think we can use this technology to be free rather than to be trapped. And I think that part of society is trapped within 100%. this construct. And even the technology companies, they know that. And it's not that they can stop it because they can't, because it's all about us. We're using it, you know, like a drug. But I do think that uh, there's an opportunity to change that. And I think to change who are the people telling the stories, who who's setting how we live, you know, could there not, you know, be a, a more imaginative and creative society? Yeah, you know, this is what I'm really interested in is, you know, let's break open the doors of, of what can happen. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And yeah, you know, it's uh, it's so true. You, we are addicted to social media, we're addicted to these small screens. One of the things I love about Secret Cinema is you don't allow people to have phones or, or you know, yeah, at the we, event, right? We put them in a little bag. It's the first time we did it with Back to the Future, whereas I was like, okay, we need to change this. We're going to build lockers for, for 5,000 phones. And again, my team looked at me and went, this is insane. But I was like, we have to do it. We have to take the phones off. Otherwise, the, the secret will be out that there's a DeLorean and there's a town, you know, everything will be out. And we did it. And we only lost a couple of phones <laughs> out of 80,000. But then we realized we have to, we can't do that every time. So we have this amazing company called Yonder. I think it's Dave Chappelle was the one who started it or was involved. Cool. He, he was so sick of people filming his shows. And you just trap in the phones and, you know, but what I would love to do is just, destroy the phones like in a <laughs> ceremonial stamp no but i'm joking obviously we need our phones because otherwise how would we get an uber and how would we find our way home we'd be entirely lost this brings me actually uh, to the concept actually of uh, other types of festivals uh, I, I went to burning man three times and and back in the day I, mean, I don't know if it's still the case now but you know you didn't have reception and the phones didn't do much i think now they they do have better reception burning man my center camp they have where you get the ice there you go. <laughs> exactly. But that also is a very different type of experience. So, so have you been to Burning Man several times? Or? Yeah, once. Only once. But I've been to Glastonbury a lot. And that's really, to me, that was the thing that really opened my mind to things. 
Yeah, because these, these are just crazy worlds to explore, basically, right? Uh, I mean, and- Burning Man is extraordinary, and I think it just it, it goes, you know, it takes after the kind of situationist manifesto, like this idea of participation and creating a city in a desert. You know, to me, what's really interesting now is like, what is the future of a city when we can be having an interview right now on a little screen and what is the purpose of a city, you know? And Burning Man is just a rich place to explore these new ideas. But sometimes I find, you know, no, I mean, I love Burning Man, but, you know, I'm just less interested in the kind of rave in the desert part, which is fun, but it's tiring. <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely. Well, that that actually brings me to another question I was going to ask. Um, you know, because you, you do all these different things, really, and wear a lot of hats, but have you ever thought of creating, maybe maybe it's boring, but creating a, a permanent space? I mean, you mentioned being a farmer at some point, potentially, but uh, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know what that would be, that permanent space. You know, it could be it could be a lot of things uh, from a restaurant. Maybe, again, that's too boring. You already have restaurants, but I don't know. Or even like, before you even answer that question, I wonder, have you tried escape rooms? I mean, that's kind of simple, but that's another experience that has kind of gained in popularity over, I guess, the last like 10 years. People didn't really do escape rooms 20 years ago. You know what? It's weird. I've never done an escape room. I mean, maybe just because, um, yeah, uh, you know, I spent so much time building these these worlds. Much richer than any escape room I've ever been to, I should say. Oh, that's kind. But yeah, so I always find it interesting also that we talk about experiences, you know, or like immersive culture and stuff. It's like experiences is like bottling up life into chunks that you sell. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, that that's, that puts it in a bad way. But I, what I mean is that to me, everything is, you know, life is an experience, right? And and so if I go out and experience something, find myself in an, an immersive world or a story or go and see a play or a film, I've always find it fascinating, you know, like about the fact that we call them experiences. But anyway, um, what was your question? Would you ever want to create I don't know, some sort of permanent space. I mean, I know you've created, you've got shows that have started to travel now. I know you, there's yeah. a, uh, a Casino Royale went to China from, from, this, from the China UK. China and Stranger Things went to... Um, to LA. To LA, yeah. I love Stranger Things, by the way. That was awesome. I loved... Uh, that'll, was, um, that'll bring us to another topic in a bit, but uh, yeah. the fact that you actually did something that wasn't a movie and you actually had to create, like uh, you had this amazing kind of 360 film that was made just for that. But, uh, but yeah, this idea for permanent space, I don't know, maybe, like I said, maybe that is too restrictive to old school, but I wonder if you ever... Definitely not opinion. old school or restrictive. And actually, it is very much the what I've been working on for the last few years is um, my next venture, which is called Lost. And the premise of this is, you know, in a world which is predictable, which is where the main space that we hang out is online and on social media, and that, and the importance of the physical and the importance of community and the importance of artists being free and not owned by just a couple of companies, Lost is going to rethink and perpetuate a kind of, not only create a space for artists and audiences to come together that is like different, but also rethink what theater is, you know, rethink what a cinema space is, what a music space is, what a hotel is. Like we're going to really explore that. So Lost started with the release of this film, Les Miserables, where we worked with Black Lives Matter and we released the film in an old cinema, but we gave the film to these young kids to release because we wanted to sort of, you know, the, the film was about youth and police brutality and we wanted to really demonstrate that, you know, this film needs to, to be seen 
didn't you also screen a film in France? Uh, I think we're uh, also where you had, I think there are a lot of illegal immigrants trying to come into the UK or something. Uh, yeah. Some yeah. So just throughout so- secret cinema's history from, from the beginning, we've, I've always, we've always taken the film and the, the message around the film and then look to kind of connect either with a social cause or a charity during the time of the refugee crisis, the continued refugee crisis, when they're at this jungle camp, you know, an hour from London, there's this camp in Calais where 5,000 people live in tents. It was just sort of extraordinary. And at the time we were doing this Star Wars, right? And the Star Wars is about refugees <laughs> as well. You know, like Luke yeah. Skywalker having to leave his home and become a refugee almost. So we played with that. But yeah, I've always had this social action. And so Lost is really about that. It's like, what is the, what is the meaning? Like, what do we want to see change? And could stories, could art and entertainment not, not be that change? So yeah, we're very much... I'm not, I really, right now is always about pop up and doing something for six months to a year. Whereas now I'm building this new project, which is very much about space. It's very much about artists and our first space is in the work. So, yeah. Well, as soon as that comes out, I'm, I'm definitely, I can't wait to see it. I will, I'm in, I should say, by the way, you know, also in terms of permanent spaces, I mean, it's interesting to think about odd museums i don't know if you've heard of but there's the the museum of jurassic technology in la which is like this really bizarre space and you don't uh, actually I really know what you're seeing but uh it's an amazing museum i've always wanted to see it i've always wanted to go and for some reason every time i've been to la i, I it just hasn't happened but i'm going to do it next time everyone it's so everyone like that i meet that's interesting always says it and it's so yeah, it's super it's super underground so yeah 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 it's on the way to to the sea from I'm always staying in east, uh, east of mm, That's right. It's quite east. It is quite yeah. east. Yeah. Um, go to that. Definitely. You got to do it. But also, I mean, I want to say it's interesting. So the permanent space, that sounds cool. Whatever, whatever you do, I'm sure it's going to, it's going to be cool and you will continue experimenting, but, but also within this like immersive, uh, theater space, like I said, secret cinema is unique, but there are other amazing organizations. I've been to some productions of punch drunk, mm. uh, and, uh, you know, they, for example, sleep no more, in New York where you wear a mask and you can't talk to people. And, you know, that's very different. I, I like to be able to interact, but that, that's also quite cool. And, and I also went to see the drowned, the drowned man. And, and that reminds me a bit, you had the handmaiden, which was an amazing film. I went to go see that, yeah. this amazing Korean film, but also there you couldn't talk. That was interesting. There was a bit of a yeah. similarity. Well, I mean, punch drunk, I mean, Felix, I know quite well. I, I first experienced punch drunk late one night at a festival called the big chill. And, um, you know, Felix is really one of the pioneers of this. And I mean, he is the pioneer of the theater side of things. I think secret cinema is really more on the cinema side, but, but really there's some beautiful crossovers between the two organizations, but what punch drunk does is different. And it has this other side this sort of, you know, where you wear a mask, where there's this anonymity, which is kind of quite interesting. And you sort of like watch these scenes and these worlds and you become part of them in a different way. You know, secret cinema, we wanted to kind of, allow the na- the audience and the performance to have the same power, which is which really a risky thing to do. And it's taken a long time to get it to where it is today, where that blur between the audience and the performance is strong. You know, you really, as an mm. audience member, you become a character within that story. And often, like, I'm like, who's this actor? I didn't realize we had this. Oh, it's just, it's not an actor. So guests can sometimes take over in an oh, unexpected way. Taken over and created scenes and sequences and stranger things. There were like these groups that were 
you know, and other people were following them and no one knew. And that's when it's super, <laughs> it's super exciting. It's like, you know, that's the thing. But um, what was the other thing you mentioned? Um, uh, so not talking and, and handmaiden. Oh, yeah. so the handmaiden was really, so secret cinema started secret cinema, tell no one, you know, and then we did maybe 30 productions where we wouldn't reveal the film or the location. And it was, you know, much more underground and it's, it's, you know, we still have, that is still a big part of our DNA. But we grew to a point now where we're doing these mega productions with Netflix and Disney and, you know, which is a beautiful thing to have more people experience it and for it to be more varied. And But The Handmaiden was the last secret one we did. And, you know, a beautiful film, really rare to see a film that is a gay film, really, essentially, you know, on the screen that is really telling this beautiful love story and also unapologetically erotic and in a world where pornography has really taken over you know that it's become that is the the sort of the culture around sex whereas you know we've lost a part of i think um mm. so it was really interesting to take the premise that the audience were coming to this ceremony that the master was holding of these poetry readings of these readings and they weren't allowed to speak unless the master allowed them to do so so there was this sort of domin dominating thing going on and people had to like write messages to each other and to order a drink, they'd have to give a piece of paper to the bar. But for, you know, and a lot of the t my tech team were like, no, you can't do this. They're not going to listen. They're just not going to obey. But they did. And it was oh, extraordinary yeah. for three hours in London during, you know, no phones. People just didn't say a word to each other. And you know what? They started looking at each other in a much more confident way. It was fascinating. It was like really fascinating. And and then we had the film come to life. And yeah, that was a really special event. Absolutely. And I, and I have to say, like, uh, for me, these these secret events, like they're they're like gems. Uh, I love these surprises. And and also the fact that you created a form of mindfulness by forcing people to be quiet is like a vipassana retreat in a sense where people can't talk and they have to communicate in other ways. And, you know, that that was super need a cool. bit of silence, you know, like I think actually Julia Cameron said it like she talked about silence and like really taking time to be quiet, you know, and I mean, I'm talking a lot right now and I probably need to shut up. But, you know, like silence is rare, especially with the phones and the things, you know, it's like, let's just cut that shit out and uh, just uh, be quiet. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, before you shut me up, I have a few things to <laughs> no, say, though. No, I know. I know. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. You wanted to ask a stranger on the street some things you wanted to ask their first childhood memory and also something that's very beautiful or most beautiful to them. And there was a third one. Oh, I don't remember what was the third question. Well, it doesn't matter. Let's go for those Let's two. Go, like dreams for the future. Ah, okay. I well, think, okay. we'll get to that anyway. Those are the first two. Okay, I'm the stranger on the street. My earliest childhood memory was um, swimming with my father where I was too small to swim and I'd hold on to his neck. And, you know, he would go underwater like a submarine and it would feel like I'm swimming. And I, I always remember that, you know, and it was a, yeah, you know, it was like I have a very close relationship with my dad and like that was just cool. So that Beautiful image. The earliest in, in Fulham Pools. And I don't know if Fulham Pools still exists um, in, in West London. And um, I think it does. And then what's the other one? The second one was... Oh, uh, something beautiful, like the most beautiful or something. Yeah, so I have this, like, and I don't know about you, but during lockdown, I was having these very vivid fantasies about, like, living somewhere else and or, or like, moving. And I have this, like, image of a, 
a sunken wooden house on a lake somewhere filled with books and memories and photographs and wow like and I keep thinking about it and it's like almost maybe that's the place I'll be in like 30 years right you know like filled with memories Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. pictures of a family and you know I don't know like it's just so I keep and to me it's a beautiful thing and then swimming on this lake every day and in fact I'm just gonna fucking do it oh sorry you should no, that's fine. We can we can have some some, some f words. Oh, really? oh, that's cool. If only I'd known at the beginning. But no, like um, yeah, that's the beautiful thing. And then my hopes and dreams for the future. Yeah, I think just a world that's just more joyous and has more awe, and uh, where strangers feel like they can talk to other people. You know, like where people meet, and we're not just you know waiting for Tinder to allow us to meet. <laughs> I like that. We were in a, we're in a weird culture right now where a lot of actors are being canceled. And, and I wonder, like, you know, since you often show classic films, would you, would you screen films like Seven or American Beauty or The Usual Suspects, all of which have Kevin Spacey? Or, or do we need to avoid having a Kevin Spacey film? Well, what's your take on that? This is the edgy question. Like One that. of them. <laughs> I mean, like, I think, you know, to me... If you cancel culture, then you're going to be canceling a lot of like of the past. And I just don't believe in it. I believe that, yeah, people mess up. And I think people, you know, do the wrong thing and and they they need to like accept that and they need to do their time for that. But I think in a way, no, we would screen films by Orson Welles, Roman Polanski. I'm sure, you know, obviously we have a big creative team now and it's a much bigger pro- project. So yeah. it would have to be something that we all think about. But, you know, Chinatown is a beautiful movie, right? I've always wanted to do Chinatown. Yeah. And yeah, he he messed up big time and what he did was was wrong. But yeah, I think that, you know, you go back in the past, it's like, I just think that we've become this kind of, I don't know, a society that is just constantly pointing fingers at other people and saying, they're bad, they're bad, this is good. And it's just like, there's something not quite right with it. I don't, and, I, and I can't explain what the solution is, but I just know that cancel culture, like, yes, people, if they do wrong, they need to, you know, accept that and they need to reform. But canceling them, what if they proved that they could be back in society and, you know, do the right thing, then... Well, well, well these are two, two issues, right? On the one hand, you've got this notion of redemption. When do they get to kind of come back? And then on the more extreme point, there's this notion that you have to erase this cultural memory so you can't even go and enjoy like these classic films where they're, you know, they've already been made, these artifacts, but it's nuts to, I think, not to be able to go and consume them, as you say. I so. think to understand them. I think to understand, you know, you know, certain points in culture that, yes, there could be films that are quite risky and edgy and you couldn't watch them now, but you can't get rid of the film and just burn it, you know? It's a big question. But I think that there is a really dark and aggressive and part of social media that I, I I think is just is just wrong but again it has to be there and it's part of what we're all living now but it's like you know it's like I really believe that there can be another way and so another way of communicating without you know killing everyone or you know like not, you know being so hard on everyone I agree another slightly edgy question I remember seeing uh, Shawshank Redemption which was amazing but I do wonder to some extent, you know, that that was an 18 plus production, mm. you know, how do you know when you're pushing the boundaries? Like when, when there's too much in terms of like, you know, the actors kind of had to harass 
the visitors and and I have to say they were usually harassing guys rather than gals, which you know I don't maybe, I don't know well, if I should well, say that that's more cool or not. But uh, and obviously the the movie is more about guys being harassed in in prison, right? So that's, that makes sense. But you know how, how do you know how do you know that the actors won't go too far and how they guess like, like harass the the visitors, the guests is is one one question. Well, I think, you know, the idea behind Secret Cinema is to create a world that's truthful and has integrity to the story of the film. And this was a film about prison. It was a film about convicts going into prison and a man who was unjustly accused and put into a prison. We worked with Amnesty International. We took real life cases. We blurred the lines between this being kind of entertainment to art, to activism. And to me, we have to make it real. And the idea is that the audience all became men. So the idea is that it was a male prison. So the women became men and yeah, it was pretty, it was quite edgy, you know, um, but it would have been insulting to the story and also to those that are looking to rehabilitate reform prisons and or abolish prisons, which I think I'm one of those people that prison it doesn't mm. work in the same way the drug system doesn't work. Um, anyway, yeah. let's not get into that. So we wanted to make it real. So I think we have to do it justice and to do it justice, you have to go far, but we have a team and an amazing group of people that can understand if the, the actors are going beyond, but the actors all have agency and they all have their own ability to control things. And, you know, but yeah, it, it was quite an edgy production, but I think people loved the truth of it. You know? Oh, I did. I did. I'm just saying, you know, I feel like uh, in terms of insurance, it might be a harder thing to pull off in the States where things can be more touchy. You know, there's culture also plays a part to some extent, but I loved it. I know, but I also know, yeah, for some people, it might've been a bit too rough. Uh, so it's, it's complicated. It, you know, that, that's what I love about it. So I didn't have an issue with it, but I know that these are, you know, these are very edgy things to have. And I remember a scene where we were walking through these showers and there's a, there's a prisoner, an actor who's new that's being beaten by a, a I think like a, a warden or of sorts. Yeah, a, new and, uh, a new fish was, uh, yeah, beaten. And, and and bleeding, uh, yeah. obviously it's fake blood, but there's blood and, they, and they're naked and you're walking right by that. And next thing you know, someone's shouting at you. I mean, it's, it's and you're forced to also uh, remove your shoes and walk barefoot. And I remember it was snowing outside. So you have to walk for a little bit in the snow. <laughs> it was it was intense. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, like when I watch a film like Shawshank Redemption or Battle of Algiers or One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest or any of these kind of films that really, you know, they really move you and they're like, you know, you question, you come out and you go, you know, does prison, is prison, is it the best form of rehabilitation that you know, this system is it, you know, could there be another way? And so it has to be real. And so, yeah, I think having that man being beaten in the shower as you went in was a bit of a wake up call to say that look, this is real, you know, like this is, it's obviously not real, but it, it is real for tonight. Um, because we, in the same way, you know, you step into the world of the film and you, you know, you either believe it or you don't. So same with performance and theatre. And, you know, that was an amazing production. Simon Evans, who has gone on, you know, like he's just a really established filmmaker now. He just did a TV series. Your dog just came in? He wanted to just add a few comments. <laughs> Bugsy looks so sweet. Uh, and obviously you did Bugsy Malone uh, with Secret Tomorrow, which I missed. I didn't see that. I wish I, wish I had. Yeah. Is that who Bugsy's named after? I mean, like my grandmother had a dog called Bugsy and um, hmm. so I remember from a child, but then yeah, Bugsy Malone like was one of the first secret cinemas and and he just, he looks a little bit like a grifter, you know, like a hustler. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like him. I like him. You're saying he looks a little bit like a meerkat when you have well, him stand I up. I just had bit. him trimmed, you see, for the summer. So he just looks a bit kind of like a meerkat, doesn't he? 
So cute. Yeah. He's so cute. Uh, so dog person over cat person. I don't need to ask that, right? I or... cat, but I couldn't deal with its arrogance. Mm. I, I just... Those selfish bastards. No, no, I didn't really. I love I loved cats <laughs> as well, but um, I prefer dogs. Mm. Me too. Me too. I mean, both, both are cool, but... Yeah, dogs, they're unconditional love, right? All the time. Exactly. Just in the, yeah. Lots of lots of physical attention, which is pretty awesome. You ever take him wild swimming with you? Yeah, Did he you? came in. Well, he went swimming in the sea with me. I told him to wait, and then he just came in. It was quite, you know, he was only about two months at the time, actually. Wow. But yeah, no, he, he does like swimming, but I try not to let him swim in the ponds and Hampstead Heath, yeah. otherwise he gets crazy. You, obviously, you've had... A lot of secret cinema events. You also had a secret music event that I went to, which was uh, with Laura Marlin, which uh, I loved. And that was built around a performance. Have you thought of doing uh, anything around a book, for example, or I don't know, or some other type of secret event? Yeah. So, yeah, we did. We explored music and with, with secret music and Laura Marlin. We looked at the potential of doing some books. And it's very much something that, that, that's interesting is, is how you could bring to life a book you could bring to life a fashion collection, a game. I heard that uh, that a video game uh, production is actually in the works. Yeah, yeah, with Secret Cinema, video game production is, work, is in the works. And, but with the game that we have, which is one of the biggest games in the world, I think it's gonna go crazy, yeah. Wow, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm enticed and intrigued. I wonder also, obviously, you know, you're doing, you're doing a lot, you, you wanna create all these amazing experiences, by the way, I just wanted to share, this is kind of kind of random, but I had a similar experience to you to some extent where when I was, I think I was like 14 or something like that, I remember going to see Silence of the Lambs and uh, and, and you had to be 16 to get in. And uh, some guard like asked my age, I was there with an older cousin and basically I kind of ran in after, you know, because I didn't want to get turned away. And, and so I remember hiding, going to my seat, and then the entire screening being afraid that I might be, you know, the guard might find me and kick me out of the of the movie. And and I have to say, I mean, the movie was amazing anyway, but having that extra kind of, you know, fear factor just created the most amazing experience. I was totally blown away by that movie. Yeah. I mean, just being, just the forbidden is so exciting, isn't it? Yeah, yes. The, the idea that's right. of that mystery and, and you know being in a place where you shouldn't be and the unexpected nature of it is so exciting and, and maybe that's been lost a little bit hence why my new venture is called lost which has you know that if you lose yourself outside of the algorithm you're a happier person absolutely well, I, I want to get lost on and i want to break some taboos and i want to know more about lost how how should people know more what you're up to what what is the best way to follow you? I mean, I think you've got a, an Instagram account, but I don't, I don't know yeah. what, what is the, what is this about the right soapbox for people to go in I mean, and observe? Yeah. So, so my new venture is called Lost, but the paradox of it is that it's not on social media for the reason uh, that I've explained, but there, you can go to lost.org and it's also, it's, we're going to reveal elements of it, but it will really be emotionally broadcast through secret streams that you'll find uh, in different parts of, your vision and it will come to you like an emotion i think i hope and not necessarily in like you know click here come here this is the new big thing because it really isn't it's a collection of artists it's a collection of people wanting to create a, a lost world so but to go to lost.org and sign up to the we have a mailing list that is our form of communication for now and you can see what we did with the first film Lajli's Les Miserables which we released 
with uh, a, a group called Tribe Named Atari, uh, who are part of Black Lives Matter. And we created an, a sort of a world of film, music, art, dance, and spoken word, and gave these kids the opportunity to release the movie. The next project is is kind of in the works. And um, yeah, you can find it at lost.org. Okay, so go, go to lost.org, sign up for the newsletter, and get ready to, to be kind of, uh, yeah, to find all these little breadcrumbs that will lead you yeah, to but you're not the holy gonna, grail. You're not going to find them on Instagram. Maybe we might hijack parts of Instagram to let folks know that there's a lost door, which they can leave Instagram for a moment to discover things that perhaps they haven't been served as advertising. Maybe. Love it. Absolutely <laughs> love it. Well, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to getting lost. Cool. Um, cool. Hey, well, thank you so much. Uh, a, a huge pleasure. And yeah, just, you know, everything you've done is tremendous. And, and I can't wait to see what you do with Lost and obviously what Secret Cinema does. And, you know, I'm sure, you, you know, you're going to create some amazing things that we probably don't even have words to describe yet. Well, thank you. And like, and likewise, I, you know, love your podcast. And I think that you're, you know, it's a, it's really refreshing to hear some of the people you interview and it's always an inspiration. So, you know, thank you for including me and you know, I really appreciate it. Well, it's, it's been a huge privilege. Thank you.